Hello and welcome to the Brentas Foundation podcast, where we throw light on some of the African continent's biggest and most pressing issues and leverage best practice, not just on what to do, but how to do it. I'm your host, Marie Noel Ngoklo, and it's a pleasure to share in this moment with you. If you're new here, welcome. It's nice to have you here. If you're a regular, hey, how's it going? So this is the podcast where I share a lot of the super interesting conversations I have with really cool people. I'm a firm believer and sharing ideas that shape and challenge the world as we know it. My hope is that these conversations where you get to be a fly on the wall start further and deeper conversations wherever you are and lead to the exploring of actions and ideas that actually work and make a difference. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Again, I'm Marie Noel and you're listening to the Brentas Foundation podcast. Welcome everyone. Today's episode is with Ray Hartley, uh, Director of Research and Communications at the Brentas Foundation. So today we're going to be talking about the South African giant, behemoth of an organization, ESCOM. Ray, you wrote the chapter on ESCOM in the book Better Choices. Can you paint a picture of the origins of ESCOM and basically how we got to today? Yeah, it has its origins deep in history in the early 20th century when a decision was taken after World War II to industrialize South Africa and they established these major state-owned enterprises. Iscor was the steel producer and ESCOM was the electricity supplier. Right. And essentially became a state monopoly energy supplier right through until the present, present mm-hmm. day. And ESCOM was responsible for building a massive fleet of power stations and coal-fired, mostly coal-fired power stations. And was, I think, ranked, was one of the biggest in the world, single energy providers, and was highly ranked. And in fact, in the early 2000s, won the Electricity Organization of the Year Mm -hmm. awards which is quite a competitive thing and has always been highly rated. Yeah. So how did we go from, you know, global company of the year to an absolute drain um, at the moment? Yeah, it's interesting because it's actually an illustration of what happens when policy mm. fails. Yeah. So in the late 1990s, the world was liberalizing energy markets and Thabo Mbeki decided that South Africa would follow suit. A white paper on energy was issued, and that white paper essentially said that going forward, they would look to private energy generation capacity being added to the grid Mm -hmm. to reduce the state monopoly on generation. And they would break ESCOM up into generation distribution uh, channels that would be relatively independent. And it was quite a bold white paper. And essentially what then happened is that ESCOM responded to that Mm -hmm. by then uh, changing its organizational structure. So it got rid of its very large project management engineering divisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically all of the professionals and, and managers in the organization that were responsible for new generation capacity because mm-hmm. it would no longer need them. Yeah. But then, 
political crisis engulfed Mbeki and he started being criticised from the left for his reforms, which mm-hmm. were described as neoliberal and privatisation became a pretty much a swear word in <laughs> the Mbeki, Mbeki's political circles in the alliance with Kasachi and the SACP. And so government never then got the private energy provision on board. But in the meantime, ESCOM had stopped planning for adding generation capacity and Mm -hmm. had lost the capacity to do so. So in the round of 2007, um, yeah, the guacamole hit the fan. (laughs) So basically... Uh, there wasn't enough energy supply and mm-hmm. South Africa began shocked the world by load shedding. Yeah. And it was then, I think, that the awareness of the electricity generation problem and its true depth mm-hmm. emerged. And Becky actually apologised to South Africa, mm-hmm. saying government had misstepped and failed to sort out this generation problem. Right. So that's what happened. And, and what was then... What then took place actually almost compounded the problem Mm. because ESCOM was then charged with hastily getting together the generation capacity. Mm -hmm. But remember, they'd lost all those engineers and project managers. And so they hastily cobbled together the building of two of the biggest coal-fired power stations ever. But without the engineering and, and cost management and project management capacity, these projects went way over budget. They took way longer. They're still being built to this day hmm. um, to build, and they were never properly done and have never reached full capacity and probably never will. But they they changed ESCOM's balance sheet dramatically, mm-hmm. and ESCOM became a major source of debt on the South African government's balance sheet because the South African government guarantees ESCOM's uh, debt, and therefore it's it's part of South Africa's overall debt. And so ESCOM became a financial drag on government and the economy, and there wasn't enough generation capacity, and it was being looted at the same time by a new generation of state capture individuals Mm -hmm. that had been put in place by Zuma, so it was a perfect storm. Storm, And now we have the problem where ESCOM is just simply unable to meet the needs of the economy. So there's definitely a lot of different things that played out here, but I think one thing that came to mind as you were speaking, um, and it's it started a while ago, and this idea of, and I think it's Greg that says, you know, the, I guess, period of recovery sometimes is long as the period of decay. <laughs> so what does that mean for South Africa now? Is ESCOM dealing with its challenges at the moment? It is and it isn't. I mean, it is in the sense that it had Andre Dorator appointed. Yeah. And he certainly brought some financial discipline mm-hmm. to bear on ESCOM and is quite strong in that area. And ESCOM has actually begun to slowly claw back its debt position mm-hmm. and improve its finances. However, on the engineering side mm-hmm. and the maintenance of power stations, and the rollout of new energy, ESCOM has been weak. In part, this is to do with that lack of engineering capacity, capacity and, yeah. and so on, um, to the extent that they've called on all the old people who were retrenched and fired to come back, wow. and quite a few of them have come back, apparently. 
Um, but secondly, because the decision-making is out of ESCOM's hands. So it's up to government to decide on the new capacity and how and when it will be implemented. And government has been very, very slow. Mm. So there have been these very lengthy bid windows for renewable energy that have taken years to wind out and then only produced a relatively small amount of energy considering the overall energy need. Mm -hmm. And even when government has announced that it's removing the cap on private sector energy generation, it has been very slow moving the process of getting all of this energy up and running and integrated into the grid. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's at a point now where there is still insufficient energy. And this is with the economy going very slowly. Yeah. Um, there's no real prospect of growth exceeding 2% in South Africa because there simply isn't the energy mm-hmm. to make that happen. So, you know, the way out of this is, is I'm afraid, is very dark and difficult mm. unless government seriously addresses the red tape around energy generation and properly liberalizes the energy generation market and allows players to surge ahead, yeah. um, nothing is going to change. Okay. And I think that sort of takes us to where I want to go. Part of this conversation, right, is that there are better choices that we can make. Can you highlight what those top three are? And also, I think I'd be interested to hear maybe your thoughts um, in general on or ideas around what it would take to make these choices, given the leadership that we have now. I think the first choice is to understand that the future is not in coal. Yeah. As uh, you know, the energy minister said that he is proudly in favour of coal and and so on. So, and it it comes from the fact that he is a former secretary general of the National Union of Mine Workers, and there are a lot of coal miners who stand to lose out if coal is sidelined. But there just is not the financing. No global financial institution, and even domestic financial institution will back uh, coal or finance coal development Mm. unless at very high rates, the few that would. So it's just not feasible. So that's the the number one choice. The second one is to very aggressively deal with shoring up and repairing the existing fleet. So don't add new coal, add renewables. Yeah. But aggressively tackle the management of power stations, throw out and fire all the people who are incompetent and unable to manage these stations properly and put in the right professionals and the right engineers. Um, That takes political will because a lot of these people are cadres that have been deployed and there's a political cost attached to that. So I'd say those are the two major ones. And the third one is embrace the opportunity that's been presented. Um, The world is keen to help South Africa transition. Mm. Uh, South Africa's coal-fired power fleet is identified as a major source of carbon emissions. There is a lot of money floating around at at good rates Mm. to transition from coal to renewables. 
and it's now been I think almost a year or, or longer um, since the world pledged 8.5 billion dollars to kickstart this and we haven't taken it up hmm. we're still debating it tossing it around thinking about it looking at it asking for more money um, we should just grasp this and move forward so, and I think even the last point sort of brings me back to the the part of the question earlier. It's what what would it take to make some of these decisions? What what do you think leadership is missing at the moment, and why is it dragging its feet? Is it not paying attention? Is it not prioritizing? Um, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. There seems to be a general malaise hmm. when it comes to decision making. Um, in government. Government seems very cautious and slow moving, uh, moving at a glacial pace. And yeah, glaciers might disagree because they actually move. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure why this is. I think part of it is political. Mm. Sometimes you have to make a decision that has political consequences yeah. that are negative in the interests of the country mm -hmm. and understanding that in the long term you will benefit mm -hmm. politically from them. So, you know, defending coal is just delaying and holding back the whole transition in energy. And it's just a, it's, it's a foolish thing to do. The, much rather work on, find a way to get people who are working in coal and mining in coal employed in other ways in renewables. So accelerate these renewable zones in Mpumalanga where the coal fields are and try and train and transition as many workers from the one to the other. Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating on some level that it's, it, it almost seems like the problems or the issues with ESCOM it's almost like a, just a little picture of what exactly is happening in South Africa, right? Some of the decisions that need to be made, some of the adherence to past ideological beliefs that people may need to let go of, and even in terms of talent, um, for people to do things across the board, um, enabling people who may have skills to come in, um, or even training people the right kinds of skills. It's like you're looking at all the problems with ESCOM, but it's like, Oh, this is pretty much the same issue with South Africa as a whole and some of the choices that need to be made. So that's very... I think you're absolutely spot on. Yeah. It's true. It's a very good illustration of what goes wrong when you have cater deployment mm -hmm. on a wide scale, mm -hmm. putting people who don't have the competence into positions of incredible responsibility. Yeah. In the case of ESCOM, the, one of the generator, generating units... Um, at one of the new power stations blew up because a person who did not have the competence and authority was running that unit and failed to follow procedure correctly. And the investigation into that actually showed that that person said so, huh. said I'm not ready to do this particular procedure which was to purge the hydrogen coolant out mm -hmm. of the system and replace it with carbon dioxide and then air. And they were made to do it, and they did it in the wrong way, and there was a massive explosion. So, you know, the real-world consequences for these yeah. deployments. Yeah. So if you're going to build a multi-billion dollar power station, you better run it. So the person yeah. running it Somebody had better be someone who know, knows what they're doing. Yeah. You can't really compromise on that. No, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
right one question i have for you is fixing escomo takes some time how would we know we are on the right path or are doing the right things what would that look like to say we are actually in the process of making the right choices i think if they're able to repair and maintain the the coal fleet power stations mm. and the base load is consistent and doesn't drop suddenly requiring mm. these big load shedding changes yeah. we would know we were on the right track i think that's the most fundamental thing and then adding on additional generation capacity mm-hmm. people don't realize it but if we had, didn't have the renewables that we have we would be in a far worse state with load shedding because the megawatts that are added there actually ameliorate a lot mm. of those, these problems. So while you can't replace the base load with with renewables, renewables can definitely make a big difference to smoothing out the supply and ensuring that there is a greater diversity of sources so that 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 are less uh, susceptible to to breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those are the, you know, those, those would be the signs. Yeah. Ray, thank you so much for this. I'm going to go now and prepare for stage one load shedding today. Good luck. <laughs> Only stage one. That's great. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that brings us to the end of today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did putting it together. I love, love learning new things. Hey, if you enjoyed this chat, you definitely enjoy others that came before it. Check out previous episodes on whichever platform you're tuned into now or visit our website www.thebrentersfoundation.org for other episodes. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if I could make one last ask of you, please do share this with others. Again, you're listening to Marie Noel on the Brentus Foundation podcast and it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. Until next week, stay well.